I love when somebody gets their hands on me and just goes hard. Hi, Michelle. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> you all right? That goddamn retrograde is making everything fall to pieces. Oh, Lordy. What's happening? <laughs> What's going on in your life? Oh, you know, just retrograde stuff. I guess Tamira, right. the modern mystic, will understand. Yeah. Everything's all going retrograde. How are you? Oh, well, I'm all right. The retrograde is treating me just dandy. So far, so good. Although Yay. I'll touch wood while I say that. Yeah, I'm going to touch yeah. wood too. Because we are a little bit superstitious, aren't we, Michelle? Yes. Well, listen, first of all, I'd like to say welcome, welcome, welcome to all you eavesdroppers. Thank you for tuning in. We've had some lovely Yay. feedback about last week's episode, the moon landings, and Flat Earth Theory, which was a lot of fun to talk about, wasn't it, Michelle? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I haven't had any feedback. I'm just waiting for the backlash because <laughs> I'm sure just people think I'm fucking mental for, for yeah. even questioning whether a man was on the moon or not. But, you know. When I was listening back to the episode, that you did have mm -hmm. a couple of interesting points. And I would like to look into that flag, the flag that was flapping in a, a lack of atmosphere. So, yeah, I would like yeah. to know the answer to that particular question. But I've never, never really questioned whether or not we went to the moon. That's a follow up. We'll do that in the YouTube <laughs> video because, guys, we have an announcement to make. This month, don't know when, but at some point from now on, what we would like to do for all you lovely eavesdroppers who can't get enough of us, if you'd like to see us chatting either in the flesh, it won't be in the flesh to you, it'll be over the YouTube. So tune into our over YouTube channel and watch us talking to each other about the month that we have just recorded. So the topics we have talked about, such as for this month, we'll be talking about catfishing and walking on the how moon. How to kill your parents. How to kill your parents. And there was one more. No, that's it. This Today's one. episode. Today. Yes. <laughs> So we'll just do a little recap and discuss it. Michelle and I, at the moment, are back in each other's presence. But whenever we can, we'll be together. If not, then you'll see split screen. But we just think it's a nice little addition to the eavesdropping experience. I agree. I think we've just got to try. We've just got to put it out there. We've got to give it a red hot go. So That's yeah, right. keep your eyes peeled. It'll be all over the socials when we've actually done it because the month is rapidly coming to an end. What's happening in the real world, Michelle? I have no idea, but I'll tell you what's happening in my world. <laughs> I threw up recently. I know. And do you know what? Natty J, Natty J in uh, California, she is not going to enjoy this conversation. She doesn't like the, <laughs> doesn't the bath like and it. poo. No, she doesn't. But I had probably the worst vomit, one of the worst vomits of my life. Mm. I actually feel like I manifested it. You made it happen, Michelle, by talking about it so much and by explaining what happens to your body when you throw up. Because when I had to edit that episode, I have to say my stomach started churning. Well, do you know what? While my stomach was actually churning, and I do think it was food not poisoning, it wasn't, it wasn't booze. 
But no, when my stomach was actually churning, part of my brain was thinking, oh, I, I know what's coming next because <laughs> I've already gone through like what happens to your body. So I do feel like I manifested the uh, oh. the throwing up experience and it was grim. Serves you right. No, I shouldn't say that because it was an awful experience for you. What a horrible thing it to was. have happen. You poor thing. It was really terrible. Now, <laughs> I did also want to... Uh, have a few shout outs. Give a few shout outs. Let's here. hear your shout outs. Let them rip. Shout out. Shout out. Shout out. You're getting a shout out. Let them rip, snorter. I just wanted to give a big shout out to Heidi, who is listening in Cairo of all places. Oh, wow. Heidi. Heidi. That was a TV show called <laughs> Heidi, and I believe it went something like that. I'm not sure. Could be out of out of tune, <laughs> and maybe out of your mind. But hi, anyway, Heidi, 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 hi, oh, Heidi, fuck. Heidi, hi. I bet she's never heard that before. Oh, I can't help it. It's just they're coming thick and fast now, Heidi. I'm so sorry. Hello, shut up. Hello, Heidi. Do you know what she said? She listens sometimes uh, to eavesdropping on the way to work. Puts a big smile on her face in the mar- in the mornings for the rest of the day. So thanks, Heidi. Oh, we're so glad you're in eavesdropper. I hope that we're putting a smile on your plate on your plate on your face <laughs> plate right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I also wanted to give a couple more shout outs. Oh, God, so we have constant. a new eavesdropper. Yay. Yes, Natasha. Natasha. I always say that she's Romanian, but she's not. She's Slovenian. And the reason I remember that is because she said it's Slovenia is the only country with the word love in it. Oh, Slovenia. Slovenia. So there you go. So big shout out, warm shout out to Natasha. Wonderful. Great, you're an eavesdropper. And also a quick shout out to Felice. Felice in Australia, who mm-hmm. in Brizzy actually who uh, is an eavesdropper and she keeps sending links and I keep not replying because I'm a rude bitch. But anyway, I do see these links. Thank you, Felicity. Thank you, all those eavesdroppers, Felice, Natasha and Heidi. We're all over the world, Michelle. We're coming in your ears, left, right and centre, all around the globe. (laughs) And it is a globe. If you listened to last week's episode and you've been convinced that it's not a globe then I haven't done my job right. <laughs> <laughs> You're a flat earther and there's no convincing you otherwise. So what are we talking about today, Michelle? This episode was actually inspired by someone we just talked about who doesn't like the vom, Natty J, hey, otherwise known as... Natalie. Natalie. Yes. Yes. She sent us some stories. Now, we did hint at this a couple of weeks ago. So today... I'm talking about empaths. Empaths. So a lot of counsellors have to have empathic qualities because they need to be able to feel what the other person is feeling. Well, look, there is actually a difference between having empathy and being an empath. Okay. So empathy is just when you're able to put yourself in someone else's shoes, basically, or you're in tune with the way other people are feeling or you're able to empathise with someone else's circumstances. And look, I actually think that unless you're a narcissist or a sociopath, pretty much everyone is 
empathetic mm. to varying degrees. Right? Just, to, just to note, though, that psychopaths are famously able to emulate things like empathy and sympathy that they say displayed in others. And that's why they're so good at their jobs. Yes, but it's not real. It's not re- true empathy. Not true. Like you said, they emulate it. They, they're wearing a mask. They can act. Yeah. Most people, I think, are empathetic. And being empathetic could mean that when, you know, someone is telling you a story about how someone close to them is maybe unwell or been in an accident or something, yeah. you know, your heart goes out to them and you might sort of become emotionally moved by mm. what they're telling you. I'm moved all the time. Yeah. I'm always sobbing. I'm sobbing in public all the time. Oh, I'm a crier. I'm yes. a crier. I cry at everything. I'm, I think I'm highly empathetic. Michelle, can I quickly ask, is it empathetic or is it empathic? And are, are they the same or the, empathic, are they different things? Empathic. Empathetic. Because I think maybe empathetic was tossed out the window because it sounds a bit pathetic. Let me do a Google on that. Just one moment, caller. What do you think? I'm not sure about that. So empathetic and empathic mean the same thing. Empathic is the older word, but not by much. It was first used in 1909, while the first recorded use of empathetic is 1932. Oh. You can use them interchangeably. Okay. Well, what do you want me to say for the rest of the episode? You say what you like, however you feel comfortable. I'm empathic to your exchange between the two. It's very grammatically correct. So the difference between empathy and being an empath is empaths are people who can actually literally feel other people's emotions. Right. So their pain or their happiness. So basically empaths pick up the feelings and thoughts of other people and they are able to take on other people's feelings as if they are experiencing those feelings themselves. And look, it's not a cognitive thing. It seems that they actually can sort of read other people and absorb their feelings Mm -hmm. and their unspoken feelings a lot of the time. So you don't necessarily have to say to an empath oh god you know I feel really upset because this happened to my friend they just know it it's interesting I've read a lot online and watched a lot of YouTube videos and people have all different ways of describing it because often empaths find it really difficult to explain their gift and some people call it sensing other people call it knowing would it be like Michelle somebody like you wake up in the morning and you've had this really strong dream about a friend that you know they you should call them. You haven't thought about them in a while or suddenly they're on your mind in such a way that you feel that you really have to reach out. Would that be empath? No, that's, that's more psychic or intuitive. However, many empaths actually have an element of psychic ability because, you know, a lot of people do, like you just said, they they will dream a conversation or they will dream some kind of information and wake up and think, oh, fuck, that's going to happen. Or maybe it's a joyful thing. But I think the definition of an empath is that they do have this sensing experience and it's intentional and sometimes unintentional and it freaks them out because they can read energy but more than that, you know, I've, I've read a lot of accounts from empaths where 
they'll be just walking through a crowd and they will be like, fucking shut up because they literally can feel the emotions of the people around them. I've read that it's sometimes they get like a video of someone's thoughts or they hear their thoughts. And do you know what? That absolutely scares the shit out of me because I feel like, you know, we live in this world where nothing is private anymore. And that's actually another episode I want to do as well as looking into this whole privacy thing. But, you know, nothing is private anymore, but what you're thinking in your mind. And there are people out there. And do you know what? There are a lot of people who identify as an empath. And I think it's all different degrees of being an empath, but people can actually hear your thoughts and it disturbs them because yeah. a lot of the time they they don't want it they don't want it well we have done episodes where we've discussed psychics who experience this a very noisy yes. existence yeah and i think that this is what it is with empaths because they do have this sort of insight into not only what people are, are feeling And generally, they feel that themselves as well. Mm. So if there is somebody who is feeling elated and super like over the moon, the empath also suddenly is like over the moon. It's like transference of energy and feeling. But equally, if someone is feeling shit or sad or depressed, the empath will also pick that up. You know, some people can locate missing items. Other people, like I said, will get insights into other people's lives or dream things or they'll have a flash of intuition about some kind of information ahead of time. Some of them can predict their own future but forget it as well. Oh, my gosh. So they'll say something like, I'm going to be living in Paris by this time next year. Completely forget that they've said it but Mm. through weird circumstances – they'll end up living in Paris. And then someone will say, you predicted this. And they're like, what? No, I didn't. So it's like a very, a very strange thing. And actually, there's a blog I came across where this woman called Amanda Buck. She's sort of a reluctant empath. And it seems that most empaths are a bit reluctant. And she said when she was in college, she found it extremely difficult to be in close proximity to, to crowds of people. Because she would walk around, you know, her campus. And like we just talked about, she would hear the thoughts of people she passed. Mm. And sometimes she would see short videos in her head of what they were thinking. And, you know, she was talking to her roommate about it one day. And she said she could hear the thoughts of people around her. And her roommate was like, well, come on, read my thoughts. So they sort of sat facing each other cross-legged. And she took the roommate's hand And closed her eyes and she saw this little girl with freckles and braids in her hair and in a field of yellow flowers and running into the arms of this older man, maybe a father, who like picked up the little girl and swung her around. And and she thought, oh, well, that's a bit of a shit vision. But she kind of told her friend while she was had her eyes closed when she opened up her eyes her friend was her roommate was sobbing Mm. she was like oh my god that's exactly what I was thinking and it's one of my most treasured childhood memories so you know I think that being an empath is linked to kind of psychic abilities in many ways but of all the videos I, I watched and all the blogs I read the main thing that sort of struck me is that having this empath 
gift, it, it all starts when they're young, really young, mm. and they don't understand what's happening to them. They don't understand why they can hear other people's thoughts or feel other people's pain or happiness. They don't understand how they know things about other people, that sometimes those people don't even know about themselves. They generally feel tortured by mm, mm. this gift before they, in later life, kind of just accept it and often em- embrace it and work with it. You know, thinking about it, if you're a, a true empath, it must be fucking hard to differentiate between how you feel and what you're actually absorbing from other people. Right, yes. If you're experiencing other people's thoughts and emotions all the time, the line must get blurred between, well, am I thinking this and feeling this or am I just absorbing this from someone else? Mm. And I think you would feel drained. You know, you just must feel exhausted by taking on other people's shit and happiness too, I guess. But there's actually a clinical psychiatrist called Dr. (laughs) Judith Orloff and she's been studying empaths. And kind of the phenomena of being an empath, like for her whole career, more than 20 years, she sort of came to the conclusion that people who are empaths really need to look after themselves because if they don't, they can kind of hit burnout. And she wrote a book called The Empath Survival Guide, and it's a bestseller. So I think there must be a lot of people out there, like burned out empaths who really need some advice. But where do you go? Where do you go with that, all that stuff? Yeah, I know. You it's, need a survival guide. You need somebody to... Be able to tell you how to navigate it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse by what everyone says. A lot of empaths talk about getting their messages mixed up as well. There's, again, this woman, Amanda Buck, she was talking about how she had this intense fear that one day, just out of the blue, that her two-year-old was going to get hit by a car she it was such a strong feeling that she was like fuck I need to tell my husband like keep our two-year-old inside all day so she rang her husband and said listen you know keep her in then an hour later her sister called her and said I've just been in a car accident and the woman in the car that I hit had a two-year-old in the back who's gone to hospital oh man! so it's sometimes the messages they get They understand, they hear something and they see something, but they can't put it correctly into whatever it is. It might not necessarily be about them. So, you know, and this woman actually calls it the knowing because she says she just sort of knows things and she doesn't know how. She also says that when she receives the knowing, she actually can heal people. But she can't just heal anyone. She has to be able to get the feeling of knowing how to do it in order to do it. And she talks about this time her dad injured his back and um, he was really in pain. And she just said out of the blue, I can fix you. And he's like, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> I've been to doctors and no one, no one. And she's like, no, 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 just let me, let me try this. And he didn't want to be touched, but and he's like, no get away from me but the next day he was in so much pain he went back to his daughter Amanda and just said all right give it a go so he lay down on the couch and she like put arnica on him and just gave him this gentle massage and she just said when she felt her her work was done Mm -hmm. and that this knowing had sort of gone through her body and into her hands to like work on her father 
she was like, okay, you can get up now. And he got up and he was expecting to sort of still be in pain and he was fixed. So I think empaths have all sorts of really amazing um, abilities. And I think it's different from person to person. She also says the big downside of being an empath is that you can't turn it off. You know, you get overstimulated by everyone else. And also you have to often withdraw, which can lead to relationship difficulties. You can feel really lonely because people don't understand how you know things and and why you're exhausted. And and again, like I said before, you know, empaths kind of can think to themselves, is what I'm feeling real or is this someone else's? But yeah, I think actually to some degree, all humans are empaths, not empathetic like or empathic, but... We have the ability. Perhaps it's just been so hidden deep down and we've lost... Because when you were talking about the daughter healing her father, I really thought... That's something that may be in all of us because we know about friends of ours who've got healing qualities they can lay Mm. their hands on. And my husband's an osteopath, but yes, of course, he did six years of medical school to to learn about the anatomy and, and how to manipulate certain parts or massage certain parts in order to make different bits feel better. It's very intuitive, though. The best massages, and trust me, I've had a lot of massages in my life I bloody love it I love it I love it (laughs) I do I love when somebody gets their hands on me and just goes hard you do oh Oh, sorry no I mean I have because you know whenever I go to Thailand I literally have a massage every day those little Thai ladies on you like they're stomping on your back and I absolutely adore it Jesus the best massages I've ever had are where the masseuse is almost in a trance and they're using their hands as if it's their hands are being guided by something else and they're feeling you know what needs to be corrected in your body Mm -hmm. and it's a different feeling like Mm. you go somewhere else when someone lays their hands on you in that kind of magical state yeah I I do feel that children are the most in tune with their empath gifts because especially like young children you know they're still in a in a world of feeling rather than thinking they're not cognitively able to think oh why am I feeling this they just feel it so they go with it and I think that as we all get older if we had these this empath gift maybe we've tuned it out or thought it was weird or didn't like it and that's why our intellectual mind is like closed off to our empath connection I have no (laughs) I have nothing to back that up it's just my own thought when I was reading these stories from Natty J she says her stepmom is an empath okay and she says that she never really understood it until there were a few illuminating moments. And so I'll read out a couple of things that she sent. Just one moment. Okay. I wonder if she likes being called Natty J. Or does she prefer Natalie? <laughs> she probably prefers Natalie. Sorry, Natalie. I just, do you know what? I started calling you Natty She's J st- from the start and that's yeah, dark. It's, it's what the Australians do, Natalie. We just, if your name's something, we need to make it our own version. That's what we do as Australians. Barry? No, it's Bazaar. Gary? <laughs> no, it's Gaz. Ben Mendelssohn? No, it's Mendo. Mendels. Oh, Mendo. They call him Mendo in Hollywood, don't they? But anyway, she says she likes our accents, by the way. So thanks, Natalie. That's good. Natto. <laughs> call her Natto. Natto. <laughs> so she says here, a little background on my stepmom. She sees dead people. 
<gasps> spirits, ghosts, shadow people, all of those sorts. I love it. I see dead people. I see dead people. She says. My favorite film. Are you serious? Sixth Sense. My absolute favorite film. Along with, what's the other one I like? Blade Runner. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I had no idea. Yep. Bruce Willis. Yeah, Bruce Willis. The little boy. What's his name? Tony Collette and a little laddie whose name escapes me. Whose name was Cole in the movie. So her stepmom sees dead people. She's also an empath. And Natty J. Natto says, I had no idea what an empath was and had asked her about it, but never fully grasped what an empath was. Yeah. She said she unintentionally feels people's emotions as if they were her own. Still, Nanny J wasn't totally getting the concept of what that meant until this mm. particular story. So, Natalie was on the phone with her stepmom when the stepmom told her that a week earlier, the stepmom and her dad were inside watching TV and they heard a loud crash that came from outside. Mm-hmm. So, Natalie says... At first, they just assumed it was the garbage truck picking up trash. Within a couple of minutes, out of nowhere, my stepmom had random extreme neck pain. It was immobilizing and sudden. About a minute later, my dad and my stepmom heard sirens and they went and looked out the window and saw that a motorcycle and a car had had a head-on collision right in front of their house. And that was the loud crash that they and the sound that they heard. So... They go outside and they see a man lying on his back in the middle of the street. He's still wearing his helmet, but not moving on the ground, paralyzed. The paramedics put a neck brace on him, uh, but he's alive. The paramedics quickly lifted him in the ambulance and took him to the nearest hospital, which is about half a mile from her dad and stepmom's house. Right. So Natalie says, after they told me about the accident... And she has in brackets here when they told me it was about a week later. Right. I asked if the guy was okay. And they said they didn't know. They didn't hear anything more about it. But that the older lady driving the car that hit the motorcycle didn't get hurt. But that's all they knew. Natalie says, I then asked my stepmom how her neck was feeling and if it was still hurting. And she said, no, it was bad, but went away a few hours later. She then said, but it does act up when I'm driving. Later that day... Natalie says, Mm -hmm. I was curious and wanted to know if the guy had survived. So I did a little duck, duck going. And she says, me too, Michelle, me too. And she says she found out through research that the guy was 19 years old. He was in the military living in San Diego and that he had died at the hospital on Saturday morning, which was seven days after the crash. He had suffered injuries from a broken neck. Yeah. Fuck it up. And Natalie says, so then my mind is now blown. All of it then made sense. I went to dinner over at my parents' house and told her about the guy and how he had survived the crash. But he had died in the hospital a week later on Saturday morning. Although she was learning of this for the first time, her stepmom was not in the least bit surprised and said it was tragic and that it made sense. And when Natalie asked her what she meant... The stepmom said that for a week, every time she drove through the accident site, her neck hurt. She said that when she was running errands on Saturday before lunch, her neck didn't hurt when she drove oh, by. Gosh. And Natalie says, that is when it clicked for me on what being a true empath means. Yeah, no. And she says, I understood what it is like for my stepmom who lives with this daily. 
An empath unintentionally feels energy that people omit. They physically and emotionally feel other people's energy and emotions as if it was their own. Mm. And shockingly, all living things emit energy. So plants and animals, her stepmom can feel too. Oh God, what happens when she's like picking the basil to make pesto? It must be a nightmare. <laughs> or if she's eating a banana. Oh. Don't eat me. <laughs> Don't eat me. What's she on about? What? Silly bitch. Actually, Natalie did send us another story. She says here, My entire life, I've always been obsessed with dogs. I've always been drawn to animals in general, but I have never not had at least one dog in my life. There was not one dog we ever had in our family that didn't end up choosing me as their person. So I guess what I'm getting at is I'm pretty much a crazy dog lady. Okay, good (laughs) on you, Natalie. Join the club. It's true. I'm a crazy cat lady, but I get it. So she says here, like most dog owners, I'm heartbroken when my dog passes away. Mm. On February 20th, 2020. Ooh, 2020. I think Tamira will have something to say about that particular date. She had three dogs, two pugs and a black lab. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of dogs. She says, that morning I woke up to find my lab was not moving and it passed away in bed during the night. (laughs) Oh, my God. She says, I was devastated but knew I couldn't lose my shit just yet because Mm. I had to get my son up and ready to head off (gasps) to the school bus. And I didn't want him to see her or know that she'd passed away before he went to school. After he left, I couldn't pick her up. She weighed 100 pounds and I tried but I needed help. So I had a neighbor come help me put her in my car. We put Mm. the seats down and placed her on the back on top of her bed and covered her with a blankie. She actually writes blanket, but I said blankie. Oh, and I'm about to cry. She says, so then I get in the car and I call my stepmom to ask her if she'd meet me at the veterinary office. I didn't tell her why or that my lab had passed away. So I get to the parking lot and I'm leaning on my car waiting for her. My dog is still inside the car. Mm -hmm. My stepmom pulls up and obviously knows I'm sad. She said, okay, let's get Percy and go inside to see the vet. So she opens the front passenger side of my car while I go to the back to open up the hatch. Right. She then looks at me and sees me pull off the blanket and I said, can you help me bring her inside? My stepmom gives me this look of confusion for a couple of seconds and then she realizes my dog has died. We ended up being told by the vet that we'd have to bring her somewhere else to be cremated. So my stepmom drives my car and drives us there about 20 minutes away. And she's telling me she was so confused because when she'd pulled up in the parking lot, she mm. saw Percy in the passenger seat. And then in brackets, she says uh, she loved car rides and riding so shotgun in my car. So normally Percy would be sitting upright in the passenger seat. Yeah. Yeah. And the stepmom said Percy looked young, healthy and happy. What in, she saw. When, yeah, she saw. Yeah. She saw Percy oh. in the front of the car riding shotgun looking young, healthy and happy. And then Natalie says, I told her how I woke up and realised she had died in the night and knew if I ever told, if I told her she died, that Natalie would lose it. So that's why she said to the mm. stepmom to meet her at the vet mm. and she didn't say why. Then Gosh. she says... When we were at the pet memorial place sitting in the waiting room, she told me directly to my right, Percy was sitting and looking at me. At that moment, I finally lost my shit. Ugly cries for days. 
Oh, you poor thing, Nat. I know. But she says it was a comfort to know that the comforting words people say like, they'll always be by your side or they're young again and happily chasing balls in doggy heaven. And that can be true. I know now and believe to be actually true. Oh, that's so comforting, isn't it? I know. She says it's almost two years since Percy passed away, but Natalie still feels her beside her. Once I saw a black lab that looked like her twin and broke down and cried. And unlike oh before where I would just think I was thinking about her and missing her. Now I believe it's because she comes and hangs out from time to time. Oh, that's wonderful. What, what a wonderful oh, uplifting end to that sad pet story. Thank you for writing that in, Natalie. That's so incredibly moving. Thank it you. Is. Thank you so much, Natalie. And you know what? We love it when people write in and we're really, yeah. re- we really appreciate you get a lot of attention (laughs) yeah it's better than a puke and a poop story right anyway Mm -hmm. there you go thank you so much natalie so michelle today i want to talk about a tv show that i saw How'd you feel about hearing all about it? I can't wait. You know, Sean Ryder, who was the lead singer of the Happy Mondays, Black Grape, and also the singer on that great Gorillaz hit, It's There. Apparently it was going to be called It's There, but he kept getting it wrong and saying, It's There. Coming up, coming up, coming up. I love him. I love yeah, Sean he's Ryder. He's, he's hilarious. You know, He was also on and... I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here as well. No. He got his hand bitten by a snake. Yes, he was fabulous. He was a runner-up. He, he went I far. I never saw that. I have to go and re So good. Him and Bez, the dancing man. Yeah, the from Bez, the yep. Yeah. Yep, who had no other role but to dance. So ever since... Sean was a teenager and he saw a ball of whizzing light around a bus stop in 1978 or 79. He well, knew it was a UFO. And so he made this four-part TV series called Sean Ryder on UFOs. He also featured on our favourite podcast, No Longer Going, Joe Wood's Alien Nation. I believe. I believe. So anyway, he also said that he's also seen hundreds of lights whizzing about in the sky. And the mm-hmm. next day it was on local news, explained as the lights from the local rugby ground. He was thinking, I don't think so. Yeah. So he wants to know how this experience affects other people who've experienced it also and how they deal with it. So off he goes with his his television crew and yeah. he takes them all to Chile in episode one because there's so many UFO sightings in Chile that the Chileans believe they have been watched over for decades. It's a hot chili hot spot. Sorry. It's hot chili, <laughs> chili hot spot. There's even a government-run centre for the study of anomalous aerial phenomena called CEFAA, CIFA, mm-hmm. due to the sheer regularities of UAPs. We're going to call them UAPs sometimes. They're also, what are they called? Unidentified aerial phenomena. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, seen in the in the country's sky. So due to the amount, that's why they have their own CIFA discovering what they are why because there's just heaps heaps and heaps so then they all go to san jose de maipo just outside of santiago the capital of chile which is such a hot spot for sightings that the mayor of that town who has also seen ufos has declared the town a ufo tourism zone (laughs) oh that's their usp it's a ufo yep (laughs) 
UAP, USP. In the show, Sean met a ufologist called Antonio Huneus. I don't think that's how you pronounce it, <laughs> but that's what we—that's all we got. So they went around uh, looking at all sorts of different things, but one thing that they looked at was video footage of a military parade of fighter jets flying in formation, which was filmed in about 2012. This TV show, I think, was done in around 2014. The video had to be slowed right down in order to see, but there was a dome-shaped shiny object flying across near the jets in the parade. Now, it flew across those jets, Michelle, so obviously it was going very, very fast, over a 1,000 miles an hour. Sean thinks 2,000 miles an hour. Some think it could have been a mosquito or a bird, but it appeared on eight different videos shot from different angles. So what is it? Not a bird. Not, Not a, a mosquito. No. <laughs> So then Sean and team went to Santiago, where in 1998, on January the 31st, there was a family at home that was celebrating a child's birthday when they all went outside to play. Then someone started shouting that there were parachutists falling. Oh. This is something I've never seen before, Michelle. And if you saw it, and I want you to put a link to this so others can see it too, it's shocking. On closer inspection, the parachutists weren't falling, but fixed. And there's about five of them and they all moved from one place to another. Lots more people saw this and they were also captured on video. So you can find this and put the link in. Sean said from looking at the video that they looked like stormtroopers hovering or holding a pogo stick or a jetpack. And they do. That's exactly what they look like. Sean also thinks he can see little propellers on their heads. Not sure about that. <laughs> what they do is, though, they're not falling. They just sometimes they, they travel down and then they go back up again. But there is no no parachutes. Ooh. Madness. Specialist analysis state that meteorological reports from that day showed the wind direction was going in the opposite direction of the floating objects. And they do look like men, spacemen. It's wow. very odd. Wow. Yeah. 70% of Chileans believe it to be extraterrestrial. And previously, similar cases have also been seen in Mexico, India and the USA. No explanation can be found. No explanation given. These people saw these men in the sky, what looked yeah. like men in the sky. How did they disperse? Just magically go? Did they go I don't know. Yeah, in... I don't know. Okay. I guess they just disappeared or just flew up right up and then that was it. That wasn't discussed. Then Sean and his team go to the Atacama Desert, which is on the border of Peru. And the terrain is so harsh and dry, some of the areas had never, ever seen rain. So coming from Manchester, Sean felt very out of his element. <laughs> There are enormous. That's not my joke, by the way. That's Sean's own joke. Oh, okay. He made that own his own observation on that one. He's quite funny, and he's really with it. Actually, he's got some great teeth on him. I think they may have been worked oh. on. Oh. In this Altacama Desert, there are enormous geoglyphs. Michelle, do you know what a geoglyph is? We've no talked idea. about them before. It's a large design or motif, generally longer than four meters, produced on the ground by durable elements of the landscape, such as stones, stone fragments, gravel, or earth. And you can only see them from above. So think Sir Man of Abyss, the Wilmington Longman we've spoken about before, the Uffington White Horse, many, many more. Okay. You know what I'm talking about, right? All those yeah. things that we talk, we've talked about them so many times. So aerial shots show huge drawings of a monkey with a spiral tail. I think that's how, that sounds more exciting than a horse, I have to say. It's giant. There's more than 5,000 geoglyphs around the world and they a lot of them do use spirals in them. No two geoglyphs 
around the world are the same and ufologists believe they are an homage to the visiting aliens. Do you remember we've discussed maybe they're a landing pad? Or signposting. Signpost, because there were some near Rendlesham as well, yeah. So the Atacama Giant is the largest prehistoric geoglyph in the world at 380 feet. That's 100 foot taller than the Statue of Liberty and it's bigger than a football field, as Sean noted. How come we haven't come across this one before? There's loads more, Michelle. There's even one Mm. in Australia. Yeah. Sean thinks it looks like an alien. I think it looks like a robot, this this one they're looking at. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So theories around it are that... Certain experts think it's an astronomical calendar to predict where the moon would set. And the Andean people of past times used to pray to it as a fire god. Or is it an astronaut? Because it's got this big boxy head. So poor Sean and his team climb up to get a closer look. Mm -hmm. And he's got his nice, he's got really nice sunglasses on actually and a leather jacket. (laughs) And they get up close and personal to have a good look at it because... They want to know what it looks like up close. It doesn't look like anything. They don't even know where they are when they get there. So anyway, he's puffing and panting up this hill. And as as you get closer, you just don't know what you're standing. So eventually they come to a spot where they think, oh, this must be the eye. And they look at this big pile of rocks and realize that those rocks have been there for, well, unless they've been remade forever, for a really long time. It was designed to be only seen by the air. So when you're standing there, you just can't make out what it is. But if you think that it, it was made... While the Roman Empire was crumbling on the other side of the world, yeah. who was going to see it? There, there was no air travel, that's no. for sure. We move on to Chile's notorious Valdez case. The team meet up with a man called Umberto Rocas. Uh, he was a, a number of men who, on the 25th of April 1977, he and five other soldiers and another man called Armando Valdez were stationed at a remote outpost close to the Peruvian border. Valdez no longer speaks to anyone about this, but he alleges that he was abducted from there by a UFO. So Umberto, who sits with Sean and his team, goes on to work for the police force after the army, and he's considered to be a really reliable witness. So his story goes that it was 3 a.m. in the desert. The group of seven soldiers, they were around a campfire singing to pass the time and telling jokes. Suddenly, they heard one of the soldiers, Pedro, scream, And Umberto and the others ran outside to see a large and very bright object floating about the sky, about 600 metres up from where they were standing. The lights lit the whole area up as if it was daylight. These guys were shitting themselves. They were holding hands, going, what the, you know. But Valdez was the brave one. He approached the source of light and asked for it to identify itself. What followed was total silence. Then the men realised that Valdez was gone. They searched for him for about 15 minutes. It's flat desert, so he could have been 50 metres away. They still would have seen him because of the flatness of the the ground. He was nowhere to be found. Then suddenly he reappeared in the same spot. Now, footage of Valdez is then shown of him explaining what happened to him. And he says his mind was blank from that point on and he feels like it was erased. Umberto tells Sean what he saw. He saw Valdez fall in front of him as if from the sky. Valdez was crying and calling for his mother and his eyes were wild and he was shouting, you don't know where we are or where we came from. (gasps) Chilling, right? Oh, my God. 
or where we come from. That's what he said. The men also noticed that his clean shaven face was covered in stubble and his digital watch showed the date had jumped forward five days. So no one could remember when the lights went. The lights had obviously stopped at some point, but no one could remember when that was. Yeah. And Umberto feels like he is always being watched by the skies, (gasps) from the skies, from something in the skies. Creepy, creepy, creepy. Oh, I think he got abducted. I think he did. Sounds like it. Yeah. So back in Santiago, Sean has a chat with someone who believes that aliens live among us. So there's this theory that in southern Chile, there's an island inhabited by extremely tall Nordic looking extraterrestrials. Some people say this is all made up. Others say it's real. The story has been circulating in Chilean ufology since the 80s. So this strange community of people have a magical healing power. And a lot of people believe it, Michelle. No one knows where the island is, though, or how to get there. Hmm. Some say it's a possibly a scientific or religious community that they have that have contact with aliens. Others say there's a connection with the Nazis who fled World War Two and were attempting to rebuild the Third Reich in Chile. Do you remember the boys from Brazil? That's a great film, too. Never seen it. Cloning. Cloning Ooh. Adolf Hitler. Ooh. It's incredible. Ooh. Yeah. Others say the inhabited... Others say the inhabitants are human-alien hybrids. So, Sean talks to a man called Ernesto de la Fuente, who's an ordinary chap who contacted the friendship. That's what they're called, the friendship, these people. This community is known as the friendship. But Google it, you can hardly find anything. Well, I was going to say, like, can't you just in this day and age Google Google Maps or Google Earth where this bloody island is, you know? Yeah, exactly. Ernesto contacted the friendship via radio and developed a close relationship with the island community. Then one day he went to the doctor because he wasn't feeling very well and the doctor told him that he was riddled with cancer and only had a few years to live. (gasps) When he communicated this to the friendship, they said, come quickly, come to the island. So off he went, God knows how. No mention of how he got there or how he found it or where it was. And he said, you know, because he later says, I would go there again, but I can't remember how to get there. Ernesto said that they were like gringos with blonde hair but taller than normal. Once he was at this island, he was transported to another island, but with only 14 inhabitants and a facility with airlocked rooms. They began to give him a treatment and it was using this bottle of magnetic liquid that they showed mm. him. They said it would cure him, but he had to believe. So after that, when he was returned to mainland, he never saw another doctor for fear of undoing the magic, but <gasps> lived on for 27 years Oh! at the time of filming. So he could still be alive now. I didn't check. Amazing. He said about the 14 people on the island that they never got old and they spoke through mind, uh, with oh. mind talking. Mind talking. Telepathy. Telepathy, that's the word. Mind, mind talking, talking, a.k.a. telepathy. telepathy. <laughs> Some people say they believe the friendship are preparing to contact civilization very soon. None of this can be proved. This TV show was 2014 and it hasn't happened yet, Michelle. So later on, when Sean's had a drink, he talks to camera. Yeah. He's got his trouser press in the background and he <laughs> says, he's not swallowing this one. Yeah, nah, he doesn't believe it. Really? It's, it's a no from Sean. I thought this was a new TV series. So it's from 2014. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if we should get in touch with Sean Ryder. Sean, if you're listening to the podcast, Sean. get in touch. I want to know if anything else has happened in your life to do out. with UFOs. Yeah. Lots. He loves it. 
So back in the Atacama Desert, Michelle, there are high-powered telescopes aimed at those clear skies and they're looking for signs of life. So okay. Sean turns up looking a bit worse for wear. If you remember, I said he'd had a little drink the <laughs> night before. He looks like he smells like a brewery, bless him. All mm. respect to you, Sean. They're looking for sugar because it's a complex molecule and that will prove life on other planets. So... Sean's feeling inspired, so he joins up with a UFO group at the epicenter of UFO spotting in Peru, sorry, in Chile, and it's around this giant lake. The reason why it's so popular for ufologists is because 10 years before there was a blackout, lots of UFOs were spotted. Some believe that the UFOs are there to refuel from a local hydroelectric facility. And the belief is that these UFOs run on plasma and they just hover over it and draw it up. Wow. Hmm. So once at the lake, these experts sadly left some crucial bits of kit behind. So a crestfallen Sean is very disappointed. Doesn't look like they're going to be seeing any UFOs that night. But when they're getting ready to pack up, one of the cameramen captured an interesting photo. It's a star or something in the sky. But... Uh, he's he's done it on a really slow aperture. So when he looked back at it on the digital camera, mm. it revealed that the trajectory went like above, drop down and across. So there's a little hairline of light going down and across and then there's the star. So it looks Ooh. like that great big star has moved. Everyone wow. is shocked, including the skeptical, some of the skeptical teammates. <gasps> Proof, Sean is beside himself they check the lens they do more photos on that camera there's no yeah. crack there's no hairline crack yeah it's proof for them as far as they're concerned <gasps> amazing yeah. so there was a, uh-huh. a ufo hovering yeah Above. absolutely so some people think because of earth's rich minerals and sources of energy that it's like an intergalactic petrol station oh. and these ufos come and refuel yeah we're basically services <laughs> we're the services Maybe. There's so much more, Michelle, because then he goes, episode three, he goes back to England and he meets Nick Pope, who used to be an employee of the Ministry of Defence UFO project between 91 and 94. I think we've talked about uh, that project before. I'm not sure. I feel like I know the name. Mm, Nick Pope. Anyway, he says it's definite that there is something in those skies (gasps) that we don't know about. And he said there was a spike in the late 70s, as we know, of sightings. Mm. And then he talks about this Cosford incident, which was in 1993 at around 115 dozens of people across the west of Britain. So Cornwall. And we've spoken about this. This was, I think, in our New Year episode. We talked about this. Yeah. They saw triangular-shaped UFOs speeding across the night sky. So it's all there in the National Archives. There's even reports written by Nick Pope. And he's convinced that at the time of writing those reports, this needs to be looked at by British and US military as it was undetected by radars. Mm. And he was impressed by all the stories that he'd heard from all of the people who'd seen the things yeah. that night. We, we've spoken about this. Go back to the New Year's episode because we talk about that very incident. Yeah, Sean then moves on he goes to Sutton Coldfield where he speaks to a guy called Stefan who's an abductee oh Sean said he wouldn't mind being abducted he'd like to have a go (laughs) he said it does scare him but so does bungee jumping oh have you have you ever bungee jumped no I know I wouldn't do that no absolutely fucking not but Andrea said he did Oh. Why would you do that? Oh, My awful. sister's done it topless a few times. She oh. gets a free go because she, <laughs> she takes her top off. <laughs> anyway, Stefan's experience was as a child of 11 years old. He said 
what happened was that everything slowed down. There was a strobe effect and there were these tall pink things like the Pink Panther that took him aboard a spaceship. He said while he was there, he saw a Perspex cabinet low down with two drawers in it and it had a pair of chopped off legs in it. (laughs) He said behind him there was a cylinder off the floor with a severed head in it. This poor little kid. Yeah. He thought he was going to be dismembered. So he said he was experimented on and this happened twice that he can remember. But Sean asks him, were you dreaming? But Stefan believes it to be real. Okay. He said he deals with it by trying to laugh about it, but it does come back to haunt him on a daily basis. (gasps) Sean's impression of Stefan is that he seems sane and rational. So he then asks him, have you ever been abducted in this house? And Stefan says, yes. He said one night he was so hot. He got out of bed, made himself a coffee. Why would you make a coffee I if you were hot? I don't know. Why don't you get a cold drink? Anyway, this is what Stefan did. He went outside, sat on his patio chair. They were standing there. The film crew were there looking at the chair. He said he lit a fag and then he saw a bright light coming from above the ground down the bottom of his garden by the fence. Then he saw a small being in a state of flux walk right through the fence. Then he came up to Stefan, started talking to him, and he became more solid. And then after a bit of chat, he tases Stefan. So Stefan's oh. out cold, wakes up hours later, not too cold. He wasn't freezing, which you'd expect him to be, but his coffee was stone cold. Rude. Tasered and bad coffee. I know. So Stefan seems fairly relaxed by Sean's standards. Yeah. So... He and Sean then returned to his childhood home, which was only a few blocks away, which is where his first experiences as a child occurred. So they point at the roof and he says that's where it was. And then he begins to remember that was where he was when he was being held in place by a beam of light with two beings on either side of him. And he remembers the light beamed all three of them up to the ship. He starts telling Sean all this. And he said the light was so bright you couldn't see through it. And then he goes on to say that once you're on board, he's he's reliving it. You know, there's a curved walkway. There's a holding area. A door appears in a wall. And that's where they do things to you. And then they take you back. And as he's recounting this, he starts to get really upset, Michelle. And he says, like, I've got to get out of here. I I need to go. I need to go. Sean was really shocked by Stefan's reaction. Because obviously, you know, just before that, Sean's saying, oh, this guy's really relaxed. Yeah. He believes that he was abducted. So skeptics think that people who see things like this, they see things they don't understand and they mistake it for, in in their mind, they kind of, they make up this narrative of UFOs to, to explain it. So they say, just keep an open mind. Okay. But I mean, yes, on one hand, I understand that people would try and put logic on things that seem illogical, but... Also, this isn't the first time we've heard about alien abductions, you know. Yeah. It's something that all across the world and all different people seem to have similar experiences. I don't know if that what that means. I don't know if it means that one person came up with an idea and now everyone's jumped on it or is there something to it? Well, there's one last episode, Michelle, episode four. There's only four bits to it. This is where Sean meets a familiar name for us eavesdroppers, Travis Walton. Do you remember oh. him? Yes. Travis. Fire in the sky. Yes. Yeah. He's age 75 in this show. He was one of the loggers. He was a, p- a part of a team of loggers that went missing. Well, he went missing for five days and his mates were accused of his murder until he turned up yep. in a bit of a state of disarray and not knowing what had happened to him. Yep. 
Now, Sean invited him out to the UK to look at some of the most famous abductee stories and see if they hold up to scrutiny. So they go to Lancashire, rural Lancashire, where they met a whole family that shared a UFO encounter. In uh, January 2005, the Devereux family of mum, grandma and I think two or three boys, young boys, they were driving and they saw a pure white light and the whole family were saying, what is that for a long time? They saw it hovering above the horizon. Then it shot off at an amazing speed. So the family say at the time, and they remember it so well, they had an overwhelming feeling of love and they were desperate to see it again. Oh, it sounds like being on E. Yeah. (laughs) Then they all realised that their hour-long journey that they were undertaking had only taken 15 minutes and they were all very disoriented when they they got out of the car. Yeah. So they found it really comforting talking to Travis and talking about his experiences as well. He shared that it had been difficult telling people in the aftermath of his experience, even though it didn't stop him writing a book, which was then turned into a movie, was it? Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but we do remember he was laughed at. He was ridiculed. It's a full on thing to kind of say to people because you are going to get people who just go, bullshit. Sean and Travis both found the Devereux's witness account very Incredible. They did take the family back to the site, though, which is what they all always like to do. They like to go back to the site where it happened. Yeah. They, they knew exactly where they were, the family, but wow. they said that the road didn't match their memory. <gasps> there, there were white lines where there shouldn't be. There was different things here and there that shouldn't have been there. Interesting. Had yeah. the road been redone? Who knows? Who knows? So now we go to a very famous place for ufologists, Todmorden. Todmorden. Todmorden, that's how they say it in in West Yorkshire, is known as UFO Alley. So you may have heard this story talked about on other podcasts. It's an intriguing story that happened in June 1980. There was a body of a Ukraine or Polish man that was found on top of a coal heap in a goods yard with burns to his body. He had a jacket on but no shirt as if he'd been undressed and hastily redressed. His name was Sigmund Adamski and his death remains unsolved to this day. Oh shit, he was dead when they He's found it. Oh, I didn't yeah. I thought you were going to say he was alive when they found it. No man. No. Oh. He'd been missing for 5 days. Now, the yard was in use on the day of his death, but forensics say he only died hours before being discovered, which implies that he'd been placed there post-mortem. So there's oh. nowhere that anyone could have seen that they would have seen him being killed there or something so no one had okay not that they said anyway what year was this 1980 before cctv yeah travis recounts that a story that was very very similar from the u.s where the body had no cause of death and it had appeared as though it had fallen from the sky and there'd also been ufo sightings around the time of this death so for adamski though he had no trace of coal dust on his body he was face up also appearing as if he'd been dropped from the sky The policeman who found his body had his own UFO sighting six months on. This is PC Alan Godfrey. Luckily for them, Godfrey still lived in Todmorden, so he was able to have a little chat with them about it. And Alan, retired now, he shares Travis's feelings about never telling people afterwards because he was ridiculed also. But regarding the Adamski case... PC Allen had so much more to tell them that had been reported at the time. So he he let rip on the deets for Sean Ryder. Yeah, he had more deets. Amazing. He said that when Adamski had left home that day, he had thick, wavy hair. But when they found his body five days later, he seemed to have had it all roughly cropped off. And there were burn marks (gasps) around his 
head as though things had been placed on it. Oh. And at the nape of his neck, there was an open blistered burn with ointment on it. When they took him to the coroner, the coroner was really taken aback by the look on Adamski's face and immediately said he'd died of a heart attack. Oh. Alan said, have you ever heard that expression, scared to death? He reckons that's the look on oh Adamski's face. Oh, my God. The ointment was sent for rigorous forensic testing, but no match was found. No one knows how that body got there. There's no ex- no explanation. Jesus. So for Alan, PC Allen, he saw his craft at 5 a.m. on the road. There was an object hovering, but he was too frightened to get out of the car. Mm. He said the whole place went white, and a couple of seconds later, it was actually 40 minutes of lost time because the craft had, had slipped away or zipped away. And he said also 40 miles up the road, two other or three other policemen saw a similar thing shooting around and then they saw it zipping off in the direction of Todmorden. At some point, Alan was then hypnotized by the police force to talk about what he'd experienced. And when he watched that back, he was absolutely gobsmacked because he didn't know any of the stuff that he was talking about in the hypnotism. He said that he had a feeling of being carried, that he was in a room with tall humanoids, eight smaller creatures, and they had heads like a lamp. Oh, wow. Isn't that shocking? Yeah. So anyway, listen, the last part, and I'll wrap it up now. The last part of this is quite interesting because recently we spoke about this place. Sean and Travis went to Rendlesham in Suffolk. No. Yeah, they met up with a chap called Larry Warren, who's an American. And at the time, he was at Bentwater's military facility in Rendlesham yes. Forest. And he was there the night of the three nights of these lights going through the forest. If you remember, this was mm. around New Year's Eve. We did an episode on this. So he went public after being honorably discharged in early 1990. So he remembers the moment that he saw the small craft. We talked about this on that episode where there was a little craft hovering in the air. It was so still. The air around was so still like they were in a vacuum. And he talked about that with Sean. And he also said something that we didn't hear about when we did our research was he saw life forms inside. He said they looked like kids because they were so small. Oh, yeah. But do you remember we talked about how teeny tiny the craft was? It was tiny. Yeah. yeah. He said he felt that the altered perception was due to something that was emanating from the craft. And he was told to stand guard while the other men took the radiation readings. He then says that they were ordered back to the base, leaving the craft in the wood, which is slightly different to the Mm. to the the account that we talked about. Yeah. Larry then says that there was a debrief from his superiors and they explained that this phenomena had been visiting the planet for longer than anyone knows and they demanded the men's secrecy on the matter. They then had to sign pre-written statements saying that they had seen lights in the tree. So there was all those statements that we saw from the general and whatnot. Yeah. In the years post-Rendlesham, There's been a lot of witness statements that have varied widely. After all these years, Larry's takeaway of the whole experience was that the units in Rendlesham were set up to entice these visitors and that the government and the military have the capabilities of communicating with them, with the UFOs. He thinks that somehow the military pissed them off at Rendlesham and that's why the beams were coming down into the nuclear weapons facilities, which they were Mm. keeping on site. He does also say that the nukes were adversely affected and that's why there was three nights instead of one. Oh my God, scary. Sean, on the other other hand, he's not convinced because of so many varying accounts of what happened in Rendlesham. Mm. He's not convinced about Larry's version. Look, I mean, we have talked about memory gets altered over time and you 
you know, you hear other accounts and then suddenly your account has been changed in your mind. So who knows? Yeah. But yeah. something went down in Rendlesham. Yeah. A lot of the men who were there, you know, they have been affected by this. I mean, Larry's going around talking about it. You've got the general whose name I can't remember, the high ranking general who was there at the time. He's going around wearing his ties with the cosmos on it. Yeah. He really believes, you know. But there was one thing that I took from this TV show, which I thought was fantastic. And it's, he's so funny, Sean. He's great to watch and he's really, he's really switched on. But there was an astrobiologist that he continued to talk to throughout the program who mm-hmm. would give an alternate kind of view on things. He thinks that aliens, they wouldn't necessarily be humanoid because even though they may have evolved in the same way, like the primordial swamp, you know, the creatures crawling out of the primordial mixture and then developing two hands, two feet, it could have easily been an alternate thing. So maybe it would have been two heads, four legs, you know. He doesn't understand why we keep thinking that we see humanoids. I have a theory. So do I. You go first. It's us. What do you mean? It's us. It's us either from the future or it's us. It's they are being abductees are probably sometimes I think they may have, you know, memories of maybe something horrible happening to them, like poor Stefan, maybe something awful was happening to him at home. And he's got these memories and that's how he copes. Whatever it was, it was bloody awful because he was really shaken when he was remembering them. Mm. But people like Betty and Barney Hill who have it together, perhaps they were knocked out taken by the military, experimented on and returned. How else can we do experiments on living people? You think there are no aliens, it's us doing it to us. Humans doing it to humans. I do. I do believe there are aliens, but I don't necessarily believe that they are uh, visiting us. I don't necessarily believe that they are, because the distance, you know, uh, the light years are so far. It's such a, a long distance to yeah. get to this planet. Yeah, it could be time travel. It could be interdimensional but actually, I think it's probably something a little bit more basic than that. I think it's right in front of us. Mind control and abduction, basically. Human experiments. Yeah. Done in the secrecy, the military secrecy and things. It could be that. Yeah. I mean, why not? It actually could be that. That's a really interesting theory. If we see humanoids... Like that biologist said, the astrobiologist, it doesn't make sense that another alien would look like a humanoid. I guess my theory, it's not really a theory because I'm just thinking it right now, so it's more a thought, is the say, in the same way that when people recount aliens and having spoken to them, the aliens are speaking English. Or African in the case of those little children. Yes. Yeah. What if the aliens are actually their energy that can morph or project as whatever we we need need to see see and hear in order to communicate because they are so advanced. It's Mm. just an idea, Babel Fish. From Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, yeah. You know, that (laughs) that idea of there are aliens who who give you a fish that you put in your ear, which means you understand Mm. everyone. You know, what if aliens are able to just look into our, look into, it sounds ridiculous me even saying this, look into our minds and be able to morph themselves into anything that is recognisable to us. I mean, look at V, they were lizards and they turned into humans. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you think, eavesdroppers? We'd love to know your thoughts on this. Is it something that's way more human because it is us and we are conducting secret experiments and abducting and we've got so much more technology than we're letting on 
or is it aliens? Let us know. I want to know. I want to know what people think. Boom. Nice one. All right, darling. Well, I'm going to say goodbye now because it's the end of the show. But I want everybody to remember that we're going to do this this YouTube. So make sure you like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, sign up to the YouTube channel, which is Michelle. Eavesdropping podcast on YouTube. You'll find it. You'll all find it. No G. And it's on all the show notes. The links to the YouTube channel are there. So get on it, people. People. And in the meantime, don't forget, whatever you wear. (laughs) Whatever you think. Whoever you smell, just keep eavesdropping. Eavesdropping, 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 e